0: How are we doing on this great Wednesday afternoon? My name is Hayden Joyner, and this is Off the Bench, your top sports talk show here on XLR, Lane University Radio. I am joined with co-host Chris Fortenberry and special guests on the show today, Nick Gray and Josh Grant from the New Era Sports Podcast here on XLR's podcast network. Guys, how are y'all doing?
1: Can't complain. Great to be here.
2: Doing, doing great. So- having a great day. Oh, doing solid, Hayden. Yeah,
0: Chris. Uh, Liam's in here as well. He's sitting on the couches uh, being a little uh, observer, I guess. Liam's had a long day. Liam has had a long day. We can't really
3: blame him for taking a little break.
0: Yeah, so we'll give you the day off. If you want to yell in the mic at any time, if Chris says something out of pocket, which I'm sure he will at some point. Always do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> listen back to last episode. You can hear you screaming at the top of your lungs for like five minutes. I'm passionate about the game, man. Passionate. Uh, Nick and Josh, you're from the New Era Sports Podcast. Tell me a little bit about it first before we, before we get started. We're
1: first year, we're freshman students. We wanted to do this for a long time. So what we bring is basically all aspects of sports. We bring the opinions, the hot takes, the facts, and we argue about a lot of things. We're a very diverse group, fans of different teams. So we bring a lot. And you can listen to us on Spotify, soon to be Apple Music, and now Amazon Music.
0: All righty. Sounds very similar to our show, so just uh, a podcast version. So yeah, all listeners, definitely go check them out. I think it'll be worth your time. We'll start off with the AFC and NFC championships for the NFL, and after the you know electricity of the divisional round, where we had some fantastic games and wildcard weekend too, as well for the NFL playoffs. It's been such great games the entire entire twenty twenty three postseason, but I feel like the championship games kind of were let down for the most part. The uh, Bengals and Chiefs was was a pretty good game towards the end, but with all the coaching issues and the Joseph Asai call at the end, which kind of uh, got the refs into the game a little bit and they were into the game a lot for the Chiefs and Bengals and then you switch over to the Eagles and 49ers side where that game was you know after the first quarter it was kind of over in the fact with Brock Purdy suffering that UCL tear and Josh Johnson getting a concussion in like what the third quarter and then Christian McCaffrey's number one quarterback for a little bit pretty much Mm -hmm. it kind of seemed I don't know to me it was just a weird weekend for the most part you three what did you what did you really get out of
3: watching this weekend uh, I mean, I didn't get much satisfaction. There was one matchup that I didn't want for the Super Bowl, and that happened. Just like with the college football playoff, the only thing I, the only two teams I didn't want to face each other in the in the end are the two teams that are facing each other, and that's a bummer. I think, you know, Philly, San Fran was just disappointing because we didn't really get to see the matchup we wanted. Seeing that their quarterback went out, didn't play. Uh, Purdy was out pretty early as well and was never really able to return, even though he came back onto the field. He was not who he had been and wasn't himself with that UCLA tear. So <clears throat> that was disappointing. Uh, I don't necessarily think that Philly was the better team. I think as the season has had this trend of them you know, getting lucky and it working their way, it, it continued in this game. Uh, everything seemed to go their way early on with Devontae Smith's one-handed catch. That wasn't a catch, and everybody saw it. Uh, that helped set up their first touchdown. And then a lot of calls and a lot of injuries uh, went against San Francisco, which just was a bummer. It's hard to watch, you know, because me, I'm not a San Fran- San Francisco fan, but I was rooting for him to win and to see him constantly just lose momentum, lose momentum, lose momentum, and eventually lose the game 31-7. to That's just not fun to watch.
0: No.
2: Well, I feel like, in my opinion, in the game, it wasn't, very much entertaining, but the Eagles did play a very smart game. They just took advantage of what San Francisco gave them. San Francisco went through a lot of injuries, losing two quarterbacks before the end of the game even the game even ended. So I just feel like the Eagles just played off very smartly by attacking them more and more the more they got weaker. And I feel like the Eagles just had an easy route this whole season to a Super Bowl. Hopefully they don't win. I'm rooting for the Chiefs, even though I'm a Ravens fan and I hate the Chiefs, but I I don't want to see the Eagles win this year.
0: I'm a Cowboys fan, for y'all not knowing, and so I I don't want to I don't want to cheer for the Eagles. I didn't cheer for them in 2017. I'm not going to cheer for them this year. And the Chiefs, I guess, is kind of a decent team to cheer for the second time, but even then, I don't want to cheer for them. Yeah. I didn't pick it in my game picks last week, but if I could have set my ideal matchup out of the final four remaining teams, it would have been the 49ers and Bengals. And I hate the 49ers too. I don't want them to get six rings to get past the Cowboys in that aspect. I they beat us obviously, but. It's just kind of like the better of four evils, almost. And I was going to pick the Bengals and, and the 49ers. Just just the games this weekend as a whole, they didn't – I mean, I'll start with the NFC side. It didn't impress me too much, and, and rightfully so. The Eagles, you get a 38-7 to 7 victory – or not 38-7, whatever the score was, 31-7. to 7. You get just a clean-cut victory. You play Josh Johnson in a one-armed Brock Purdy, and you play Christian McCaffrey, who ran the, ran the wild card, wildcat with George Kittle and stuff for, like, two series or whatever happened there at the end of the third and beginning of the fourth. And there's been these stats all throughout all week, the entire week where it's been statistically proven that the Eagles had the easiest road to the Super Bowl of any team in the last like 20 years, or I think since like the NFL expanded to 32 teams total. And it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you get Daniel Jones and the giants offense who for the most part, you know, it's a divisional rival. They played a good game against Minnesota in the wild card. That was supposed to be a good game. And I even predicted it to be kind of a close game and thought that the giants were going to, you know, throw a wrench in there in the Eagles' system and and cause a little bit of havoc and potentially walk out of there with a win. That obviously didn't happen. That was a beatdown. Um,
1: I'm a Giants fan. That hurts. Yeah. <laughs> so apologies
0: for that one. But hey, you have the wild card victory, so you can at least I, live I'm with I'm that. I'm proud
1: one. of where we made it. Nobody thought we were going to make it to the playoffs. So yeah, exactly. I'm not mad at making it to the divisional.
0: Yeah, and I've we've said on the show before. Brian Dable should be coach of the year. It was a fantastic season for them. Well, minus Chris, but he's a Jags fan. He wants Doug Peterson. Oh, but. I, th- I mean both of us deserve it. Yeah. Both, yeah, I mean if you could us. give it to both, that'd be great, but I'm a pull for my guy. That's fair enough. I just think I mean, with the Eagles, easy road there, and then you get the 49ers, a decrepit team there. And we'll get into our Super Bowl preview next week on the show in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. I just feel like against the Chiefs, it's gonna come down to, you know, can the Eagles hang with a team of that caliber? Because they really haven't had to in this in this postseason. You go back to the regular season, you had the Dallas game where they lost forty to thirty-four and Jerry World, and that's kind of the last game you could really see where it was a quality, quality opponent, and they hung with them, rightfully so. They're, the Eagles are a good team. It's one of the best rosters in football, but they haven't been tested necessarily since then. And, yes, they lost to the Saints the week after, but that was with Minshew, and they were kind of like at half strength. I don't even count that game. But since then, it's kind of just been smooth sailing for them. They took the week off. Jalen Hurts played the Giants back-to-back weeks. You played the 49ers who, you know, the defense was on the field for like 99% of the game it felt like. And so they got gassed at the end. That's kind of the main reason they gave up 31 points. I mean, Jalen Hurts only 15 of 25, 125 yards. He didn't have to work very hard. The running game only ran for like 120 something yards. They, they, I mean, they played fantastic, but it was kind of easy going there in the second half because the 49ers just had ran out of gas. So that's what I'm going to be looking for mostly in this Chiefs Eagles matchup. And it's if the Chiefs can, you know, continue their run of offensive excellence with Mahomes kind of crippled that we've seen, we saw hamper his game last week, and we'll see if he can get that rehab. At a high ankle sprain and be good in the Super Bowl, but it's going to come down to kind of whether those offenses can really kick it up a notch from what they played in the championship games. But looking specifically at the Bengals and Chiefs game, obviously the best game of the weekend by far, Chiefs winning twenty three to twenty, finally getting a victory over Joe Burrow, um, especially in Arrowhead, the postseason like awards and stuff, Burrowhead as people would call it, still is, still is. No,
2: it's not. No.
3: What's the record? Three and one now. It's three and one now. Yeah, it's still Burrowhead. Until that record gets half then and 500, then you can't really say much.
0: See, as a viewer, I was completely lost during the whole trophy <coughs> celebration because they started talking about the Cincinnati mayor. I had no clue that he even said any of the stuff that the Cincinnati mayor said, which I went back and watched the clip, and one, it's funny. And, I mean, as, as you're going in 3-0 against what you could say is one of the newer rivalries in the NFL. And, you know, you had all the confidence in the world. You just beat the crap out of the Bills. So I kind of get what the mayor was saying, and yeah, I mean, he's trying to—he's trying to rally his. He's city. trying to, yeah, he's trying. That's what, what I was going to say. Do. He's trying to rally the city, and I don't blame him any for that. Yeah. I mean, calling Patrick or calling Joe Burrow Patrick Mahomes' father, in whatever way he kind of elaborated it, and was you know out of pocket if you lose, but it's like a legendary statement <laughs> if you win. So I mean, it was that fifty-fifty gamble, and the game came down to pretty much the last play. So I don't hate him too too much for that decision to yeah. to make those statements. But what did y'all see out of this game specifically? Because Penalties were one of the main takeaways out of this game. Obviously, the Joseph Asai unnecessary roughness call at the end, which is warranted, I will say. I, I hate the call for the guy, but it is a warranted penalty. We had that weird sequence where it was like two straight third downs or whatever that was. Gave the Chiefs a second opportunity uh, down the stretch. There's a lot of missed calls on the Bengals side, especially. I think I've think i seen like numerous compilations on TikTok and Twitter about missed holding calls and missed holding calls. Refereeing has been an issue, and apparently for the Super Bowl, I can't remember the guy's name, but the lead referee and his crew, they, for the last two seasons, have accounted for the most called penalties per game. Out of any refereeing crew, it's like 12 penalties per game they've had the last two seasons. so It's looking to be a lot of yellow laundry on the field during the Super Bowl. I mean, penalties this season, it's been kind of a talk. What did y'all really take away from this game on that aspect?
1: One thing that I realized, I was watching the last play with the Joseph Asai penalty. Yeah, There was holding with the right tackle or the the right tackle, Mm -hmm. hands to the face, holding. They could have called whatever they felt on that one, but they let the flag go. And I go, like, if you're going to let that go, might as well let that unnecessary roughness go because it was just as bad. Yeah. So, personally, I think it was one of the worst ones you could see because it was so clear down there. He held them more than once on that series, and they just didn't call it. So, I feel bad for Joseph Asai. He's a very good player as we – because he from the AFC championship, he played really well. But unfortunately, he had that breakdown, and it diminished his whole game for him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I I absolutely hate it for him. I really do. He's a young player. He's going to have that mistake. But in, in that situation, I mean, Mahomes went, you know, all out to make that play. You could tell after the play, like, he was done. And if that game had gone to overtime, if Harrison Bucker had missed that kick and it got sent into overtime, a 2020 tie, I don't know if Mahomes would have – I mean, he's 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 working at like thirty percent. If you if you have a whole extra quarter that he needs to play, like he was not looking good after that after that scramble. It's almost like he saved it until like he absolutely had to. And it was I mean, that if they go on to win the Super Bowl or whatever, that that play could be looked back as a pretty legendary moment for Patrick Mahomes. And but for Joseph Asai, you just you just cannot make that play. You got to be self-aware. I get that you want to you know. Not out of anger, but, you know, it's the last play. You want to get him out of bounds as quickly as possible, but you just have to be aware that his his feet are out of bounds. You can't do that. And it sucks for him because that play is going to mark, you know, a big number on his career. It's going to be a big target on his back for commentary in the future over him. And outside of that play, I mean, he was the best defender for Cincinnati the entire game. Five tackles, one tackle for loss, one pat down, and two quarterback hits. He's the only player with with, with a number in all five of those stack categories for Cincinnati's defense. And for a game where, you know, both offenses kind of, you know, didn't get it working until late. And if, if even they didn't, I mean, 23 to 20 is kind of low scoring for, for these two teams, I'd say Burrow didn't play great, two interceptions. Patrick Mahomes had 326 yards. A lot of that came at the end. He played a great game, but it's just, you know, there's tiny, tiny details that's going to screw you up. And that's what happened.
1: I'll say the play that you can highlight, I guess, was a turnaround for the Bengals side was that Jamar Chase catch double coverage. Yeah. Per, literally was on the DB's head and caught it. So, I, if there's anything to look back on as a Bengals fan, I guess that's the play that got the Bengals going. Yeah. But I think it was just that play I was too little too late, and they didn't target Jamar enough in the second half. Yeah. They only gave him that one play, and I personally, if I'm the head coach or the OC, I'm saying go to Jamar if he's catching catch nose over two people. Yeah. Especially, Casey has some really good DBs. And now that Sneed's on concussion protocol, we'll see if he's able to be in that Super Bowl because that can be a very big loss for that defense.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean personally, <clears throat> I I don't. I mean I I know the Chiefs won, but they didn't win that game. I don't think they played better than the Bengals. Hmm. I don't think in any aspect they played better than the Bengals. I think it, when you have a team that everything goes your way, I mean I know they had injuries and all that. But I mean all the calls. There was a roughing the passer that wasn't called on Joe Burrow that was about as blatant as a of a roughing the passer can be. I mean, the ball was out of his hand for two seconds and he gets laid out by I want to say Frank Clark in front of the referee. Three, three steps. Yeah. In front of him. And no call. It's like, you know, it's hard to watch. I mean, I'm I'm not a Bengals, like true Bengals fan, but I'm about as close as it gets at yeah. this point. Uh I got a lot of a lot of guys in that on that team from Ohio State. And I got a lot of ties there now. And, you know, I was really rooting for the Bengals. And, I I mean, you watch you watch Joe Burrow fighting for his life all night. The dude was sacked four times in the first half. He's got no time to throw the ball. He's got to get it out before his receivers are even breaking on their routes and putting it on the money. I mean, this guy's doing everything he can. And probably throwing passes he wouldn't normally throw, but he has to because it's, you know, the biggest game of the year. And, you know, these refs are down the stretch are just you know doing horrible horrible calls and and making decisions that you're just you have to question like that third down redo. I understand that the ref was running onto the field, but he wasn't waving his hands. He wasn't doing anything actively to say, hey, do not run this play. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't. We don't need to be running it right now. There's something wrong. He didn't do anything. Like, he was just running. He was just running. He didn't wave his hands. wasn't whistling. wasn't doing anything. And they're gonna have the balls to sit and to not only redo the third down, but call a holding or pass interference on Eli Apple on that third down, and give the Chiefs a free first down when they should have been punting the football. To yeah. me, that's just an absolute joke. And you know, I I watch the game, and it's like it's like how can you how can you be a fan of the NFL when you see this happen week in week out, especially in the big time games.
1: Yeah, you bring up the uh, the referee <clears throat> and. The, he waved his hands, but like twice in front of nobody. Yeah. If you're yeah he's like doing it work. on the sidelines by if himself. You go to yeah. like just a regular camera view that you would see for a play. You're not, you're not you. even in the camera. Yeah. You can't no. see him. And so I feel bad. I feel terrible for Bengals fans and Zach Taylor, especially when they're trying to explain that. Go like, how are you going to redo a play when no player on the field, not even the Chiefs,
0: yeah, knew that it was, knew that it was, it was a, a right? But you got you got I, the NFL's got to make some way to. I mean, I get to the referee, he's, he's like the backside. Looking behind the secondary, he's he's that position for the referee. It's not like he can't yell that far, obviously, but you have a whistle. Like mm-hmm. figure something out.
1: Signal the referee that's behind the play. Yeah. He's like right if you there. see something if you yell. see something
0: pre-snap, you got I mean, even you gotta I mean, call it. We've seen play after play get blown dead in the NFL. You know, the the snap starts, the running back goes into motion, whatever he does. And the play's blown dead within a second or two, but this the whole play went out before it was even realized that there should have been a pre-snap penalty called. Yeah, and that's just that's got to be fixed. And I don't know when it will. We've kind of had issues with the NFL refereeing for, for year, decades. Yeah, it's been going on
2: for decades now.
0: So, it's it's just a problem. I I honestly figured after that Saints Rams NFL Championship game in 2018, I think after that play and after the pass interference referendum happened where they can now be reviewed, I thought, all right, I didn't like the pass interference review situation They didn't do it very well, and of course, it's not really a thing anymore. But I was like, okay, finally, the NFL is kind of putting their foot down, making a crackdown on the way these referees handle the game, and it's still is still affecting the game. And I don't know how you really fix it. If you, I mean, if I was the commissioner, I'd fine referees for for missed calls. You have got to start, or at least at the bare at the bare minimum, make. The head of officiating, if that's a title of some person in the NFL, make them come out and do a public press release every single week about the major missed calls and explain why they were right or wrong and what's going to be done to fix those calls. I'd, yeah. I'd take money out of their paychecks, man.
3: Hundred percent.
1: Yeah, they were taking like money speaks. Back in the day, they used to apologize, which was bigger then because code, uh, rest never apologized. So to get yeah. apologized, they was like, all right, at least they know they did wrong. Mm-hmm. But now they do it now, thinking it's going to be the same thing. Like, no, you have expectations now. Yeah. Call the game. we we pay good money to watch games, either in person, on TV, whatever. We're not there to watch you guys. We're there to watch our team play. Mm-hmm. Not you guys get in the middle of it and make it unwatchable. Yeah. And that's almost how the Chiefs and Bengals game pretty much went for that for most of that game. It was okay. getting unbearable to watch.
2: I feel like as a ref you go through like years and years of learning the rules. Even I know all these referees has been watching this sport since they were a little kid. So they should know all these rules and like what these calls should be. And they've had to learn all these rules. They have had the handbook. They just need some type. They need to get a money fine for missing mm-hmm. these big-time penalties in games. As you go back to the Saints and Rams, that should be a big-time penalty on the refs part because that was a blatant pass interference, and that's, that should have been called. that's
1: what made us realize how bad these refs can be is that yeah, and that penalty with Nicki Roby Coleman. And that one call <laughs>
2: changed the whole aspect of the NFL because the Saints could have been a champion right now. They could have won that game and gone to the Super Bowl and, and they, win that game. They, they, they would have
0: beat the Patriots. Yeah, era. they would have beat the Patriots. They were the best
2: They would have beat the Patriots.
3: They had the best team, I think, in football, yep. defensively, and offense was just unstoppable. So if I
1: know I can throw my body at somebody while I'm trying to catch football and won't get cold, I'd do it all day, I guess.
3: Yeah, and it's that kind of stuff that makes us think that there's something going on. There has to be some kind of script, something that we're not understanding or seeing to ha- to have these calls happen. Because us at home, we've never studied anything to be a ref. We just watch the game and know what we know. And I feel like we can call. We can make those game. calls. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's yep. calls that we are watching on TV, on TV now that we're watching that we're calling from our couches and our beds that yeah. these guys are watching, are seeing on the field with their own eyes and missing. It's like, how is that possible? When you're a trained professional at what you do and you're missing the calls that people are seeing on their TV I, it's just, it doesn't make any sense.
0: And there's, and I understand where, you know, you're sitting from the, you know, couch Couch coaching is a term. You're sitting from the, co- or sitting from your couch watching TV and you can catch these calls fine. And referees miss them, you know, the, the heat of the game action is one thing. It's a completely different atmosphere to, you know, recognize a call and see it and, and, you know, the sky view that you get from your couch. But, and I get, you know, I can understand where, oh, we can make calls that the refs might miss. That makes sense to me. But what we can, as, viewers can really truly understand is when something's fishy is going on. I feel like any, like any fan who's been watching the NFL long enough can sense patterns. They can sense things that just don't seem right when you're watching the NFL. And I mean, this chiefs Bengals game kind of brought to light. It was brought to light during that Saints Rams game. And then what was it today or yesterday when Arian Foster came out and said the NFL's rigged and we've had yeah. other players in the past nope. say it's rigged. And I don't think it's rigged to the point where the preseason, they're writing a script and saying, all right, the chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl this year over the, over the Eagles after they have this record and this record. They're not, you can't plan any of that, but I mean, sports betting has been a rise in the recent years. I do believe t- putting my tinfoil hat on for a tiny bit. I do kind of believe that there's incentives pre-game to maybe force certain outcomes. If it's the betterment of the league as a whole, now, I mean, I don't think the league's scripting out Tom Brady to win seven Super Bowls because they don't want that. You know, that's boring or to make what ten straight AFC Championship games, whatever the number he got up to was. I don't think they're going to script that purposely. And I think the players still have a vast, you know, a large stake in how the NFL plays out every season. But I wouldn't be surprised if hey, call this penalty to get this player's passing numbers up, or call this penalty to maybe give this team a chance to kick a game-winning field because it could help some some people down the line. I wouldn't necessarily put that past them. I don't think Arian Foster's, you know, going to be, you know the letter carrier of this whole thing and, you know, finally proclaim, proclaim the NFL is rigged and everybody just falls in suit. That's happened to plenty of players on that in the past. But I do think, you know, the fans especially are slowly starting to come to light that, you know, something, something might be going on. I don't know, but it does. I mean at the bare minimum, the way the refereeing has been over the last at least five years since I'll say since 2018 when that call was made in the chiefs Rams NFC championship game, People have just been completely 100% against the refs. Like, there's never calls where I'm like, unless it's, you know, against the team my Cowboys are playing, like, oh, good call, ref, you know? Like, there's just every single game, there's moments where you're just like, why are they calling that? That seems pretty timely, if anything. You know, it's just, I don't know. The only way to fix that is to take money out. I really think it's the only way to fix it. Yeah, you start doing exactly what you do
3: to the players. What Joey Bosa was talking about, you know, he goes, I know, I'm sitting here getting a fine, and -hmm. these guys are going back to their locker room laughing saying, oh, I got that guy. I got him. Yeah. You know, and it's a joke. It's a joke to to punish the players for, you know, the acts that they do and not the refs when you know that they're doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing and they know it. And they shouldn't just get a slap on the wrist and say, oh, don't do that next time. No, you have to punish these guys for for screwing over teams' season, especially in these moments. Yeah. For ruining a team season because of your own stupidity or whatever you got Go on to make you make these calls. Yeah,
0: I don't, I don't, I don't and I'll, I'll backtrack to the game. I don't think the Bengals season was ruined by penalties. I don't think this game was decided by those. I think the Chiefs Rams game was. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other games that have been decided on penalties. The the Falcons Buccaneers game in the late uh, regular season where that what was it, roughing the passer or hitting the quarterback, calling Tom Brady, <laughs> extended that drive when the Falcons could have taken over with two minutes left. I think that you know ruined that game. There's plenty of other examples of refs ruining games. The Bengals didn't play well most of the game. Burrow had two picks. I'm not going to blame the refs fully on that one, but they did give this team a lot of chances. And even looking at the NFC Championship game, before it was kind of decided once Brock Purdy got hurt, the Eagles had seven total drives extended by penalties. And I don't know if that's the most in any game in the league, but it certainly should be up there. Because seven drives extended that could have been ended that would have not led to points... Seven of those were extended for Philadelphia. And that you know just went along with helping them win the game. Brock Purdy or no Brock Purdy, that was going to help them regardless. So it's just those tiny moments. And whether it's for betting or to try to up the entertainment a la drive-to-survive style for the F1 fans, I don't know. But the NFL, I mean, at least public explanations at the bare minimum, and I think you should find refs for it. Just take money out of their paycheck. They'll stop making dumb calls, or they'll be more cautious about it at, at the very least. Or have a sky judge like the AAF did that, like, overrides refs. They just have, like, some higher being because the refs, you know. You're going to have to because there's – humans are <clears throat> are flawed and definitely seem like there's some well, favorite. to to touch being. on that, why don't we have VAR in NFL stadiums? Why don't we have that? I said that, yeah. Yeah, Liam agrees with me. Yeah. Like soccer, I mean, how long, Liam? How long has VAR been a thing in, in soccer worldwide? I mean, like, realistically, like four or five years. Yeah, you know, four, four. Hey, four. ask yourself, does that not sound fishy? Then that they don't have it. Exactly. Yeah, it does. It of does. I but I mean, no fans been calling for it, and I don't understand. It costs. I mean, it costs roughly a few million to fully install that system in each stadium. That's kind of the number for soccer stadiums. But we already have chips in the footballs to track, you know, analytical data. All, you know, all the advanced statistics kind of helps with the chips in the football. We've had that for forever. We have the magic yellow line technology. Why can't we just have you know, on the first down markers, on the sticks? Why can't we just have laser sensors that can mark if a ball's a first down? Have them on the pylons. We have cameras in the pylons, for crying out loud. Have something there to prove it. At the bare minimum, you can still have refs on the field to deal with the player-to-player stuff, holding penalties. You can't really get a computer to do that. But for the bare minimum, just yardage tracking, have VAR. I think that would solve a lot of issues, too. We've seen so many so many games decide on whether a catch was a catch or a touchdown was actually a touchdown or a fourth down was actually a conversion or not.
1: Yeah, all this is balls and lines.
0: It's just just balls and lines. Yeah. Chris, who is your referee? That's like a Michigan alum that was like screwing up the Ohio yeah, State so, players. <clears throat> I read there's a report going around that Sean Smith, the
3: uh, referee, is a is from Michigan. Uh, so therefore, they believe he has Michigan ties, and he has been known this season uh, to. Call and be impartial. I believe to Ohio State players, he told Garrett Wilson at one point in the season, "This ain't Ohio State anymore. You're not gonna get those calls." We know he's getting P.I. all game, and then he's the one who got Joey Bosa, uh, and multiple times that night. And <laughs> you know, of course, against him over. the against the Jaguars. Jaguars yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they're they're saying it's a it's a definite uh, issue with him going against Ohio State players. And even Garrett Wilson
0: tweeted after that night that that ref don't F with Ohio State players. Was he the one that followed Joey Bosa, like, to the sidelines to watch him throw his mm-hmm. helmet and call the penalty on? He was that guy? See, stuff like that. It just, it just the ruins. I said it gets debunked by
1: social media, too. Yeah. It just makes it that much more illegitimate.
0: How, how do you figure? Well, I mean,
1: like, like that's stuff that should be monitored before, you know, this happens in games. Like, and the fact that, like, this stuff on social media is getting millions of views and people are talking about it and, like, making it more legitimate, you know, like, illegitimizes the referee system that the NFL has in place, which goes back to, you know, script or whatever. I mean, that's just
0: another thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Something's got to fix it, but. Yeah. Major issue right now. Yeah. Getting back to this game, the Bengals and Chiefs especially, I do want to give us refereeing aside – I do think the game was great. I'll give us. I'll give a huge shout out to the special teams for Chiefs before we go into a break here in a second. Sky Moore had that big return in the fourth that set up that Patrick Mahomes scramble, set up the Harrison. Also Bucker missed goal. the block in the back Yeah, on that. that was missed a block on that play. That, I, that's I a great tie in. I will say, I think that guy flopped
1: a little bit. Nah, no, that was he, a blatant miss. There wasn't much of a push off. The guy went like that down. He flopped a little bit. Should have been called. Obviously I've I've seen calling.
0: it called for a I've seen it called for a lot less. Oh so yeah, I'll yeah. agree that was that was one of a bad miss one and that you could say that one ruined the game, but it, it was the last I mean, play. It wasn't honest, like the play.
3: The penalties you can definitely say the penalties yeah, ruined the, the game.
0: Accumulation for sure. Accumulation so. it out it alters the outcome. I will say that if the it wasn't a game defining, but it was a game called, altering.
3: Then they don't kick the field goal, and that could have been negated by the hands to the face and ho- double holding that was on that play. Yeah, at worst offset. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like penalties definitely affected the outcome of that game 100 yeah yeah right. I,
0: I i think i think yeah it affected the outcome of the game i just don't think there was a singular one necessarily that you know was the deciding fact you know what i mean just that play that whole play was the deciding factor
3: the fact that we're not going to call holding on the chiefs but we are going to call a unnecessary roughness on the Bengals and give them a free 15 yards to help their kicker kick a field goal yes okay. uh, which wouldn't have been able to be made with, without that penalty
2: that whole drive was just messed up from the start. Ever since the kick return, the whole drive was just missed penalties. As
3: soon as that ball was going into the Chiefs' hands, they decided the fate of that game. As exactly. soon as they were punting, they had to have had somebody said, "Chiefs are winning this game. Chiefs are going to win. Let's make it happen." And as, as soon as that ball was kicked, it was over. The game was o- that the game was over well before the clock hit zero. I'm telling you, I'm tell- yeah. there ain't no way that it wasn't. I feel like, I feel like, Chris, you need a conspiracy podcast. You need something. <laughs> you need an outlet. I think everybody can see that.
2: I will be on that podcast with you.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I will be on that podcast. I don't with think you. there's conspiracy here. I think it's a definite.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's definitely, it's definitely showing now. Yeah, the holes are starting to get bigger and bigger, especially with now Roger Goodell. They're going to him. And you can just see the wrinkles in this league that are very clear.
3: That's. Ooh, two people got to go. Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell is not
2: going to do anything <laughs> except gosh. like another like two, three years at least. That dude sucks. Yeah.
0: He's got to go. One can hope. One can pray. But we'll wait and see. We're going to go into a quick break here when we get back. We'll talk a little bit more NFL. Coaching carousel has been already kicking off since the playoffs have ended. And uh, we got a second retirement from the GOAT himself. So we'll review a little bit of the repercussions for that. So stay tuned as well. Remember to download the new XLR app, you know, that's, I shouted out last week and it's a great addition to the station. Uh, you can download the app. It's XLR Lander radio on the app store and Google play store where you can listen in live with XLR radio, uh, anytime, any day. So that is XLR Lander radio on your favorite app store as well follow us on instagram at off the bench xlr to keep up with our show and look at quotes video clips and more from all four seasons of off the bench again that is at off the bench xlr on instagram check us out there we're gonna go into a quick song break when we're back we'll be talking some more nfl coaching talk And we are back here on XLR. My name is Hayden Joyner joined with co-host Chris Fortenberry and guests Nick Gray and Josh Grant. We talked a lot about the NFC and AFC championship games before and now we are going to we're going to get into uh, some coaching carousel stuff that's kind of been been kicking off the last couple weeks in the NFL ever since you know Black Monday happened after the regular season and a lot of the contenders who are falling out of the playoffs are now reaping uh, the benefits of, of the coaching world and replacing coaches, firing coaches, hiring coaches, and all of that fun stuff. And it really kicked off, I mean, ever since our last episode on Wednesday, these last six days have been where all the news seems to be coming out. And we'll start off with the Denver Broncos, one of the most questionable teams this entire NFL offseason. Um, they picked up Sean Payton, if probably the most lucrative, most ideal candidate in this entire Head coaching spree. Sean Payton is going to Denver on a trade from New Orleans because he wasn't like officially out of contract. Denver's going to receive a 2023 or New Orleans is going to receive a 2023 Denver first round pick. They'll be number 29 overall, as well as a 2024 second round pick. Denver in return is getting Sean Payton and a New Orleans 2024 third round pick. So, I'd say. I mean, I know what I, I know. What I say about this deal. What do you guys think about about this hire by Denver?
1: I think one thing with Denver is um, it's weird because I don't know if a head coach is just all they need. Mm -hmm. The Broncos have dealt with injuries last season. I think this was a, as it was, you can tell, Wilson had a down year. Yeah. And a lot of it to do with injuries is O-line, but I don't think a head coach will solve all their problems. Like, yeah, they had Nathaniel Hackett, arguably the worst head coach in the league at the time couldn't manage the clock to save his life. And so, I don't think a head coach is all they need. And to give away your future like that, it puts you in a really tough spot if this doesn't work out to your expectations.
2: Well, my, in my opinion, I feel like... I, I'll, I'll agree with Nick. I feel like it's not going to solve all their issues, but it's a it's a good start. Mm-hmm. I feel like they can, they can build up on this from last year because they still have a good depth. They... They just need everybody to start clicking next season, and I feel like they can they can make a good run in the playoffs next season if they actually get stuff clicking in Denver.
1: Yeah, they proved their defense is elite. Yep. Pat Sertain the second. Yeah, they traded Bradley Chubb, but they also got something out of that. So their defense arguably could be one of the best in the league when fully healthy. But now with the offense, that's where things are worrisome. You got a mid-grade receiving court. You have probably certified wide receiver threes across that board with Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, uh, Hamlin, all of them. And it's just, I don't know if that offense can sustain in that high power ASC West, especially now with, with the Raiders losing car. I think that's a great start for them. And so I think the AFC West is just going to be tearing them down.
3: Uh, I think it's, I think it's good. I, to be honest with you, I thought they were just a head coach away from being really good. Mm. Uh, I think with what I saw from Russell Wilson, you know, if you have a head coach who knows what to do with him like Pete Carroll did, obviously we could tell he was phenomenal for the Seahawks for so long under Pete Carroll's system. I think Sean Payton is a fantastic coach and obviously did wonders with Drew Brees. So I think he's got that ability to do the same with Russ. And I think Denver's looking at it as their whole team outside of the quarterback position is really young. Their receivers are young. Their defense is young. uh, The weapons – uh, as well with Javante Williams, that running back, is young. So they can afford to lose these draft picks now because they have a lot of you know young talent. And I think it just needs to be groomed by a coach with the pedigree of winning and who can do that and put it all together. So I think that's kind of how they're looking at it. And I think it's a great decision to get Sean Payton. Uh, and I think, to be honest with you, that's all they need to push them over the edge. Obviously, like you said, their defense was phenomenal this past season, even with injuries, and I think that's going to continue. Uh, and if they can just get the offense to, you know, maybe score twenty plus <laughs> points a game, I think they're going to win a lot of Oof. games.
1: I'm um, happy you brought up Javante Williams. I forgot about him. because yeah, he he's got hurt in the first, first few weeks. Yeah, mm-hmm. if he's able to come back and play at the level he did before he got hurt, then yeah, that offense could look scary because that's something they missed was their run game. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a run game in the NFL, you're not going anywhere. Yep. Because then they're going to just compact on your quarterback because they know you're not going to run the football. Mm-hmm you not going to run football with a practice squad running back. Exactly. So if they're able to get Javante Williams back at his level that he was playing with before, I see the Broncos doing something. Yeah. They can make some noise in that division because I made a hot take before the season. I, I'm obviously wrong now. <laughs> I made it to where I thought every team was going to have a winning record and yeah. every series was going to split. I don't think there was going to be a clean slate of any games. I think there was going to be a split between among – all the division matchups and it was going to be a winning division um winning season for every mm-hmm. division. But I said the Raiders were going to miss the playoffs out of all teams. So to see I was completely wrong, but I think that could still happen if cards play right cuz I think the Raiders are making very good steps now. They released the quarterback that held them back. I don't think Derek Carr. He was the bottom tier quarterback, even worse than Russ cuz mm-hmm. Russ had no help. Yeah. Right. Derek Carr had ar- arguably the best receiver in the league. With Devontae Adams, the best route runner, in my opinion, in the league. And he still had a really good season with the quarterback he had. Imagine the Raiders with a quarterback. That's what they're missing. So hopefully the draft will get them there. But I'll say one thing they need to focus on is that defense. That defense needs some strong help. So I'll say I think the AFC West is still scary. I'll say that. For sure. I think that could be a team where the NFC East was like this season. Where almost all four of those teams made the playoffs, Commanders missed out by what a game? Pretty much a game. They're like know?
0: the, were they the ninth team or they, they might have been yeah. ten team. Well, I mean, if the, the AFC
3: West gets a schedule as easy as the NFC East had this year, then they'll
0: probably make, have all the teams make it yeah. as well. Yeah, that's a I'll ske- let that schedule play. rotations. Yeah, you <laughs> can't help it. <laughs> yeah, with with Sean Payton, I agree with Chris. This this is a fantastic hire by Denver. You know, you're all in with with Russell Wilson after one of the biggest trades in the NFL in the last couple of years that happened last off season. And like Chris said, this entire season, the entire year of 2021 or 2022 was wasted under Nathaniel Hackett. And they hired Nathaniel Hackett in the first place because they believed that they were going to get Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. He chose to stay with green Bay. And so now you're stuck with the old, offensive coordinator for Green Bay with the quarterback from Seattle who just they just didn't mesh very well the offense just didn't work in a way that they wanted to and Nathaniel Hackett, hack I mean I'll give him credit he came in to Denver in the preseason he said that he was just gonna you know allow Russell Wilson to do what Russell Wilson wants to do let him kind of have his way with the way the offense was run and not to say Russell Wilson was you know the person calling the plays or any of that but it didn't work out in the way that the two expected they didn't you know, the offense didn't work in ways that Russell Wilson had succeeded in the past. And that's why this team was one of the, I don't know if it's the first time it's ever happened in the NFL, but it was a certain statistical oddity. But they were number 30, they were 32nd in the NFL in offensive, you know, points per game, yards per game, all those metrics. And they were first in the NFL for defense. That's why you had one of those the funny stats where it's like if they only averaged like 18 points a game, they would have been like 13-4 and four at the end of the year. Yeah, like,
1: I remember you saying that. It's like with the Chargers when that one year they had number one offense, and number one, one defense, and, defense, and like still the missed the playoffs. 30-second
0: special teams. Yeah. You, you need to have a very good you know, combination of a- efforts. And
1: you bring up that um, Nathaniel Hackett said he's going to let Russ be Russ. But week one he did not show that. What was it, fourth and four? And let's bring up Brandon McManus to kit eight, kick a 64-yard field goal. Yeah. Yeah, you're not letting Russ be Russ. You're just trying to take control of your game, and that went way downhill after that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think with Sean Payton coming into the building, it's going to be a little bit more, I wouldn't say no nonsense, but he's going to put his foot down. He's going to set his expectations for this team, play the offense in a way that he believes he can play, and he's been successful in the past with, under Sean Payton. I mean, the, since he took over the Saints for like those 15 years, Super Bowl ring, Winning record, he was always like a top five in DVA almost every season in offensive efficiency. And not just the NFL, or not just the NFC, but in the NFL. The yeah, Saints I, were every single year, they were a contender.
1: Yeah, I thought Sean Payton was going to go into the Texans. That was my personal prediction. Because I thought the Texans were going to really look at a head coach. Because that's what they haven't had for a long time, is a stable head coach. Yeah. And it, now they brought in the defensive coordinator from the Niners. Mm-hmm. Which I... We've seen some coordinators work out, but we've also seen coordinators go completely downhill when they went to a head coach. Yeah. So, this is one of those moments where I personally think this is going to succeed. How good he can run that defense in San Francisco, now he just has to control the team. And with a defense, a very young defense on the Texans, because you have Derek Stingley coming in, he looks to be a top-tier cornerback in the future. He's not letting anything get by him. He didn't do that at LSU. He's not going to do that at Houston. Mm-hmm. And especially with the AFC South, with other than the Jags, but that's saying something. Yeah. They're, it's one of the worst divisions in football, if not the worst. Yeah. There's no talented people there that you could really make set in stone.
0: Yeah. I think his name and Sean Payton's name were one of the two big ones this offseason. And for both the Texans and the Broncos to land these guys, I think is major moves for both organizations. And I mean, for the Broncos with Sean Payton. Like I said, this is a guy that succeeded in almost every aspect with the Saints. And even though they only won one Super Bowl in Super Bowl 44 back in, what was it, 2009 or something, you know, this team was a constant contender. They would have won the Super Bowl, what was it, 53, I think, against the Rams. Mm-hmm. They should have won that game if they had gotten the opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. This is the 2006 NFL Coach of the Year, 152 and 89-15 season with the Saints. And, you know, he just was able to build the Saints into a contender for over a decade, which is something that... You know, if you were a Saints fan before Sean Payton, you had no hope. I mean, if you people don't remember, the Saints were awful. They were bef- called the Aints. Yeah. They were called the Aints. Yeah. They, they were, they this was not a, a good team. Time. And for the Broncos, I think this is a home run higher. I get that there's kind of the, you know, you, you lose a, you lose some draft picks in, in this process, but the original asking price for Sean Payton, I think the Saints were saying they wanted multiple first two or three at the bare minimum. And to get them for the price that they got them, Denver did, I think it's just an absolute home run. And more importantly, I think, is that, you know, he's going to be able to help Russell Wilson in ways that Nathaniel Hackett couldn't. Sean Payton, I do believe, is a much better quarterback whisperer than what Nathaniel Hackett was for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, even in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is going to do what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Mm -hmm. He's not taking anybody's advice. I do think Russell Wilson, you know, he can learn with Sean Payton. I'm sure he respects him. And, I mean, even last year, you bring in Nathaniel Hackett, first-year head coach, you had just gotten the new ownership uh, people in Denver. So it was first-year owner, first-year head coach. And you bring in a quarterback who had won a Super Bowl – He'd been in MVP conversations before. He was, I mean, of all like the leaders of your football team, owner, head coach, quarterback, your quarterback was the most experienced in their position. And now you're going to bring in a head coach, which is more experienced than Russell Wilson. And I think that's really going to help this team. He employed and, and his, you know, at the beginning of his tenure with the Saints, when he took over that offense and he really wanted to figure out what worked best in that team, he ran a lot of shot plays, a lot of play action, a good run game. You know who also loves those three things and has been succeeded in their entire career with those things? It was Russell Wilson. So I think this is going to be a success. I think it's going to make Denver a competitor. You're getting Cortland Sutton back. You're getting Jerry Judy back. Devante, Javante Williams. You're getting Tim Patrick, wide receiver, very underrated guy in a wide receiver. Greg Dolchich, three. Uh,
3: the tight end, stepped up a lot at the end of the season. Yeah. He, he was like, in fantasy, like a top five tight end.
0: You know who a lot of people compared him to preseason <clears> throat> <or> throat> before he was drafted? Jimmy Graham. Really? And he was solid guy for the Saints who Sean Payton worked with for years. Yeah, I mean if you if you look at this
3: Denver team, it's kind of it, it's sim, there's a lot of similarities to what Russ had back in Seattle. Yeah. You know, Devontae Williams, he's a very powerful, solid running back kind of like Marshawn Lynch was. And then I don't think he Russ had a great receiving core. He had like what Curse, Jermaine Curse and then like Doug Baldwin. Jermaine Curse. S- nope. Yeah. That was that was his receivers. You know, nothing special. That's what he's got. I mean, Judy and you could argue Judy and Sutton are better than those guys. Oh, easily. I mean, Jermaine Curse was a safety, but then who was the, who was the Curse guy? He's not like number. J. Ron Curse?
0: Is that who you're thinking? No, that's the safety. That's – Oh, I'm thinking that's of your Oh, that's his brother then. That's no, something. I think
3: Jermaine Curse was the receiver for Seattle.
0: Okay. I'll you. I, was safety, yeah, I was thinking of J. Ron I was thinking of J. Ron Curse. Yeah, because
1: I think Jermaine Curse was the one that caught it on his back, yeah, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, now I know who you're thinking of. Yeah, you got me. No, it's good. It's but yeah, it just there's a lot of similarities
3: there with a, you know, gray head coach like Pete Carroll was and then now that you have a quarterback and a head coach who've built, both been to Super Bowls, both won Super Bowls, can't ask for much more with a team, you know. Two mm-hmm. your two leaders have seen everything it takes to win. That's what I would want.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think, I mean like I said, home run hire Russell Wilson 16 in this offense. They were really, like I said, a head coach away last year. I really mm-hmm. do think that Nathaniel Hackett was just that bad. So, I mean The defense, best in the NFL. I mean, they were right up there with the 49ers for the most part all of last season in the best defenses. And it's sad that defensive coordinator Jero Avero is most likely gone for a head coaching role. I know the Vikings are having some interest in him. And with Sean Payton coming in, he's probably going to want to redo his staff as well. But I think that guy's a top talent. His name will be on the radar. The too. Vikings? Yeah. They're looking for a head coach? Defensive coordinator. Oh. Yeah. you said I thought you said head coach. I meant defensive coordinator. Okay. I'm about to say? Mabby. The dude
3: just went 13 no. and – was it 13 and 4? Four, no. He three. was a good hire. <clears dude.
0: throat> over, over yeah, they're, for the
1: Giants, they're looking at our offensive coordinator. I think it was the Colts that looked at our offensive coordinator, Kafka. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't mind losing him. I think we just need something new on offense. Yeah. So I wouldn't mind if they got him, but I think they said, what, Jeff Saturday was the leader. I think he was the head coach candidate leader because they interviewed him the second time. Interesting. Him and, I think, our defensive coordinator, Martindale, which I don't want him gone.
2: (laughs) You're welcome. As a Ravens fan, you're welcome.
1: Yeah. So Colts, I think, are at the bottom of the barrel with their coaching selections because they're either going to get Jeff Saturday, who we see wasn't the best at the end of the season, but yet again, he wasn't left with much. He was kind of left with the bearings of Frank Reich, which is now on the Panthers. And so... I think culture is going to get the bomb in the barrel with who they get. Yeah, yeah.
0: We, we're not going to be able to get to Frank Wright today, but I think I think he was a good hire by the Panthers too. I would have wanted him as Dallas's offensive coordinator if once we let go of Kellen Moore. I like Frank Wright. I think he just needed the options, and you know, we've 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 had Indianapolis as like this label of oh they're a coach away, they're a quarterback away. They've one of the best rosters, best ownership groups. So the last like six years, or ever since Andrew Luck really left, and nothing's really. Worked out for them. When you so.
1: brought up Kellen Moore, I was saying Kellen Moore was going to go to the Panthers because I know he was one of the interviews.
0: He was one of the few that too. had second interviews. I I firmly believe that Carolina was getting him, but um. I guess
1: Frank Reich made sense.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, it's a toss-up for me. I don't know if that guy's any good or not since you know, he hasn't. I mean, he he was decent with the Colts, but like he's very good with the Eagles. Yeah, but who was it the OC? He was the OC. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, there's a lot of coordinators out there who are great coordinators. But terrible head coaches.
1: Yeah, yep. Kellen Moore going to the Chargers is going to be interesting to say the least. Yeah, there was a study. I,
0: there's a study done. I think it was one of the Eagles front front execs like a while ago. They helped oversee the study that was like, does being a successful coordinator, offensive or defensive, does it correlate very well to being a successful head coach? They found zero correlation in that study. Like, it's almost complete toss up if you're a coordinator and if you're really good at your job as a coordinator, if you can be a successful head coach. And what they did find though in the wholesale was that the most or the absolute best indicator whether a previous coach is going to be a very good head coach is if they were a very good head coach previously. And that ties back to Sean Payton, successful head coach there. I think he'll be a successful head coach here. And we've seen, I mean, just looking at the Super Bowl right now, Andy Reid was great for the Eagles. I mean, he was he was top-tier head coach for the Eagles. They needed a change of face. Fair enough, a lot of teams need to change a face. He goes to the Chiefs, turns them immediately into con- a contender with with Alex Smith when he got there. And he fired Nick Sirianni off his off his staff the minute he got to the Chiefs. And Nick Sirianni has come all the way back around to be the head coach of the team facing him in the Super Bowl. So his former team too. His former team, yep. Yep. Storylines. We'll get into that next time. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. Uh, but speaking of co- up so well. Coordinators going to head coaching. I do want to touch on what uh Nick was talking about earlier. D'Amico Ryan going to the Texans from the defensive coordinator position in San Francisco. He's now the Houston Texans head coach and coordinator to head coach we just talked about. It's not you know, always a sure thing, whether that translates to uh, to the top guy position. But what did you guys think of of this move for D'Amico Ryans? Uh, does the, Do the Texans have their guy finally that can, uh, can lead them back to where they need to be?
2: I really don't think they have their guy yet. I feel like they, they have a good start with it, but they have to still get a good team around them because Brandon Cook still wants out of Texas, and David Mills is not going to do it for the Texans as a quarterback. They're going to have to get something out of this draft. I say go for a quarterback in this draft to get a good start and try to make some moves throughout the season, probably before the season even starts, try to make some big-time moves.
1: Yeah, I'll go off what you said. The only difference is I feel like this is one of their moves. like Maybe we found somebody that nobody thought was going to be a candidate for head coach. Personally, me, I I think this is going to be a right call at the end. I feel like he knows how to run a team. Like I said, mentioned earlier with the defense, I – had in the Niners, the best defense in football. NFC Championship improved that they were just tired. So, I think they found their guy. The they're a young team, a very very young team. So I think you trade Brandon Cooks, you get picks, mm-hmm. and to to do that, I think it's really gonna set that team up, especially with their draft picks they're getting.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm uncertain. I mean. Like we talked about, you never know with coordinators, you know, becoming first-time head coaches, what they're going to do, what they're capable of. But, you know, an interesting thing that I saw is, you know, what, out of the last eight remaining teams, was it, or six, I don't know, mm-hmm. in the playoffs, like all but one were offensive coordinators, former offensive Like offensive-minded, yeah. Yeah, offensive-minded yeah. coaches. And I want to say the one, was it, was it, uh, it wasn't Minnesota, was it?
0: They weren't a final eight remaining team. I know exactly what stat you're Who, looking who's, at. Who was the? I don't know.
3: No, it was uh, Buffalo, right? Was he or no? He yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. McDermott's McDermott's defense.
0: That that is offense was that offense was run by Brian Day. Okay, so there you go. And you know, it's
3: kind of a trend that the top teams are being run by offensive minded guys. And you know, you see that, and you're kind of like, well, you know, is that is that the route we need to take? In order to be at the top, you know, you got Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan. These guys are the cream of the crop. They're going to the NFC Championship, AFC, their conference championships year in, year out. And you're wondering if, is that, you know, Zach Taylor, that's another one. To be honest, Zach Taylor and Andy Reid's adjustments that they made in that game, I'll give them both credit, were just phenomenal. Yeah. And you need a coach who can make adjustments and uh, give your team chances to win, you know, even when the chips are down. So we'll see what this guy's capable of. He's obviously going to a team that's in a not very good division and has a lot of young talent and pieces that he
0: can work with. So we'll see what he's got. Yeah, I mean, then for D'Amico Ryans in the last two years, he's been defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. They've been top three in defense, pretty much number one in yards per game allowed, yards or points per game allowed, and a lot of metrics. It's been, I mean, one of the best defenses. We've seen that on display week in and week out this season for the 49ers. I think this was another home run hire by the Texans.
3: I really do. And you don't think it's a bold move to go six years on a guy who's
0: proven, proven himself as a head coach? For Demico Ryan, a six-year deal, good for him. I'll be fine with was, him. I'm talking about I, from the Texans. I think I think for the Texans, being able to say to yourself that you've committed to a head coach as, who has proven himself to be successful in one of the most complicated, hardest systems in football in San Francisco. I think to say that you've tied this guy down for six years, which is which is a lot, I will say, but you can get out of it. Contracts are malleable. I think just to say that you're tied down to this, you finally have set in stone something for this team. This is a team that's been wandering through the NFL wilderness, wandering through the forest, brainless, lost for the last you know couple of years. Ever since really Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins and that floor of offense fell out from underneath them, this is. I mean, this is only when he starts next season. Is only the sixth head coach in Texans history. Like this franchise is still super young and they've never had a true identity, really, their entire history. And I think now you can firmly say you know, or not firmly say, but you could have a start that, you know, we have a head coach and now we have a high pick in the draft after they've had, they have not had draft picks the last couple of years. They have been dried out from draft picks, just from bad moves, whether it's from the old GMs, old head coaches. I mean, Lovey Smith, David Cully, I mean, even in the Bill O'Brien days, we're not really solid guys. And I hope that D'Amico Ryans can be that for them. Obviously a former player, former rookie of the year for the Texans as well. I think he could be that guy and we proved how successful he was with the 49ers. So I think just for them to say that we have this one piece of the puzzle, you know, in place for now, glued down, it's not going anywhere. I'd say it's a success for the Texans.
2: The Texans right now are in like the Texans are like in a spot right now where they they can do anything but it's like they have their backs against the wall, so they just have to do something. Yeah. Cuz the last few seasons they haven't done nothing at yeah. all. Like you said after DeHop left, they just haven't done anything, been at the bottom of the league for, like, the last two, three seasons. And ever since D-Hop left, I feel like they haven't had no, like, they haven't had actual ground to stand on to make actual moves. So I feel like next season and these next few seasons coming up should be their seasons where they're just like, okay, we have nothing to lose. We should just go big-time moves and try to get some stuff going on, which the first thing I think they should do is just trade Brandon Cook. Because, Brandon, you don't want – we have a wide receiver in Texas that doesn't want to be there and has already came out publicly and said he doesn't want to be in Texas. So you it's not good to have a player on your team that doesn't want to be there because he's not going to show effort to even try to no. compete on the team or be there for the team. No.
0: And to sympathize, to sympathize with Brandon Cooks, he's getting up there in age as a wide receiver. He's not a sought-after number one guy necessarily anymore. I think he'd fit in more as like a slot number two guy in a decent offensive system. He's trying to look to go to a win now position. Yeah. He doesn't want to go through a rebuild. He doesn't want to, you know, have to buy into a bunch of young players or a new head coaching scheme uh, to build your way up to a Super Bowl. He wants to go to a situation where he can, you know, be a contender right now. And I think, you know, all power to him. That's the point of his career that he's in. So I think that's going to be the smart move. Um, Luckily for the Texans, you have the number one overall pick this draft. And it's a draft number two overall pick, excuse me. And, you know, they're threatening to potentially trade up number one if they want to just absolutely secure who they want to get. Most likely will be Bryce Young, and lucky for them, this is a quarterback-heavy draft. You secured your head coach, and this is a draft with a lot of good prospects in it. And you can hopefully, in one offseason, secure a head coach and a player and a quarterback who can buy into the system under Namiko Ryan's and try to finally start a rebuild in aspect. I mean, Demico Ryan's. I mean, if you just see the 49ers play their defense, just all those players, you know, Fred Warner and all those guys, and the way they've, you know, they make a big play and they point back to the head, to Ryans and Ryan's be like. You called it. like You said something in pregame. You said something in the buildup and the practice this week. You know you called out these guys for doing this, and we shut them down. They make a big play. They go and celebrate with Tomiko Ryans. They celebrate with their coaching staff. He's a guy that's really good at letting his players buy into his system. And I think with the Texans, you know, they've been in this rebuild mode for so, so long. They're not going to stick with Davis Mills forever, obviously. They haven't had a winning season since the Bill O'Brien days. I think finally to get a head coach so you can have players buy in, you're having the opportunity to get a quarterback. you got a young uh, Damian Pierce, who's a solid, solid running back in this league. You get a quarterback. You maybe trade for a wide receiver or draft a wide receiver this year. Just get a young guy that can, you know, have a fresh start in, in Houston. You get D'Amico Ryan, so you get them to buy into his system. And I think this is a team that, you know, they've been rebuilding for so long, but I think they can finally get their heads out of the woods and can finally, you know, start the rebuild process. Be a contender in the AFC South who, outside of the Jaguars, doesn't really have, you know, too many threats, I'd say, in I'd Indiana. Say the, Titans. the Titans, I think, are no, the they're Titans, going down. Yeah, they're on their downfall. When you have an elite head coach, though, you're never going to be down. That's a very good point. Mike I do, like, I do like Mike in the NFL. With part the part Titans, part. I worry about Derrick Henry because he is getting up there. I think he'll still be solid for a year or so. I don't think he's going to fall off, say, Todd Gurley style. But I do worry about him. Ryan Tannehill is in the Derrick Carr realm of yeah, – I mean, they're about to move on from him. He anyway. needs to move yeah. on. So – that's a team that's going to enter a, re- with a good head coach, enter a rebuild soon. And with the Texans already starting that, I think they have the, shan- the chance to be good. And so, you know, I think this is another, like I said, fantastic hire, D'Amico Ryans. He's going back to the place that he won Rookie of the Year in, in 2007. He was the third ever pro bowler for the Texans in their franchise history. And I'd argue he's the top five Texan all time, you know, with Deshaun Watson, with um, with DeAndre Hopkins, with J.J. Watson. Deshaun J. 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 Watson's the top five Texan of all time? Yeah. This, this is a 21-year-old franchise. I I'd argue he's a top five Texan. I really would. Yeah, yeah it's we, a sad, it's a sad, sad fact. But I would argue top a top five Texan. and left him. Yeah.
1: As a Texas fan, when you're looking at the power rankings every week and you're either thirty-two or thirty, you start to not like being a fan of that team anymore. And when your highlight over the past few seasons is you almost beat the Cowboys you guys got to start looking at look at yourselves. Like you guys got to start something somewhere. Yeah. and, and that's, Hopefully, that's, like you mentioned, this is starting
0: that, somewhere. I, I truly believe this is the start of that. I, what, I do think
3: so. What's concerning for me, though, is you signed a guy who's never been a head coach to a six-year deal and three years ago was an inside linebackers coach. He was just the inside linebackers coach. He was a defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers from 2021 to 2022. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did good, but this defense was already good before he got there, before he was running it. So you could argue that this guy took over a system that was already succeeding. He was he took over a defense that was already succeed, has been succeeding since what, 2019 when they went to the Super Bowl? Was that yeah. when they went?
0: Yeah. That's I'd, I'd yeah, I'd, I'd say around then, yeah. So
3: that's the only thing that concerns me is in 2017 he was a defensive quality control coach. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. he took over as the inside linebacker's coach from 2018 to mm-hmm. 2020. And just had the job of defense coordinator for the past, it looks like two seasons. I'd argue that quick ascension up the coaching ladder says enough about him. Or it could just mean that San Fran has been a good team the past couple of years, and their coaches are getting poached. That's a good point. The defense has been but good. All for those five coaches years now, so. who have
0: gotten poached, they've all been successful. I mean, Matt Lafleur, Mike McDaniel's, Robert Sala last year, they've all gone to their new teams and done what was asked of them. I mean, yeah, yeah, for so sure. I, I, I mean. I, I, so I, I, I done, understand the, done
3: okay, but by no he obviously it. effed he's, up the quarterback.
0: He's a de- he's a, I mean he's a defensive guy, so the defense he did his job there. The offense was you know dog crap, but that's what well, he's the the Zach coach. Wilson. He's got the whole team, yeah. not just the yeah. defense. But I mean, I'd say I mean for the Jets from last year to this year, huge step, absolutely huge step. Yeah, forward. but you you get quarterback right. You're like you took a, a
3: huge step, but then like it's like he, he took three steps forward and four steps back with the drafting of Zach Wilson. Like, yeah, your defense is great and everything looks positive, but you drafted a quarterback who's so garbage that he co- cost you from going into the playoffs when you had a playoff-ready team. This team was ready to go. This team was a winning team, and the only thing that held you back is the position that you were supposed to draft, and you
0: effed up. That's the head coach, man. Did Robert Sala draft Zach Wilson? He got drafted. Zach Wilson was, was – no. 2020? That wasn't Sala? No. No, Who, Saul, who drafted? I think it was year after. Yeah. Yeah. Was
3: it? No, he it was 2021. He was drafted – Zach Wilson oh, was, was drafted, drafted by, behind – Fields was just drafted two years He was drafted
0: right? with Trevor and Fields. Samuel yeah, it was two Sola. years ago.
3: Yeah. Salah wasn't there? This
0: was his first year no, as head coach. No, this his first season.
1: I can't remember. It was that one head coach that nobody liked. Yeah. I can't remember his name. That,
3: that can't be right because D'Amico Ryan was the defensive coordinator in 2021. This was 2022. Yeah, but he was – D'Amico Ryans was the defensive coordinator for San Fran in 2021. We're talking about the Jets, though, aren't we? Yeah, but Salah – this had to have been his second year.
0: He's saying that That's he was – That was Salah's first year. Can't be his first year. Let me see. Let me look it up real quick. Because he, he this no Salas, let me. See. What's Robert Salas' coaching list? Twenty
1: twenty one through present is what this. Says. So
0: yeah, he was he drafted Zach Wilson. Okay, this was was this a second? This was a second year. What the heck? Yeah, is he not a r- second year? Really? He was not a rookie last year. Rookie head coach. He was a rookie head coach last year. Not last this year. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll give it to you. So wow. he drafted Zach
3: Wilson put themselves in this position, and he's left with Mike White, Joe Flacco, as
0: his best offense. For the benefit of the doubt in that aspect, it was his, I mean, he'd probably, he'd been on the job for a couple months. You know, defensive guy, he's not really the guy looking for the quarterbacks here. And I don't know how fully, if, if it was the head coach's decision, if the offensive coordinator at the time was the one that pushed the, the, he's the head the coach. quarterback. I get, you're you're I telling me OC is going to say, GM thing. yeah, it, GMs have their guy. I mean, I mean, Lord knows Jerry Jones will overrule Mike McCarthy in a quarterback draft if that's the case. I mean, we about got Paxton Lynch for that because of that bullcrap. So I don't know if I'd pull that on Robert Sala, but what I will say is that you know he extended that defense. He got Garrett Wilson, who was a home run hit. I, he got Brees Hall, which was before the injury a home run hit. Yep. Outside of Zach Wilson, which was a major you know a major mistake in the draft. He's a huge huge bust. I do think he did a phenomenal job with the Jets in the two seasons he's had. He led a successful team two years, a team that competed week in and week out. And I think that team's only gonna go up. And I will add him to the list of the Kyle Shanahan coaching ladder of coaching tree, whatever you want to call it, that's been a successful head coach so far. And he has a lot of ways to go. Mike McDaniels has question marks as well. But I do think there's been time like, you know, multiple, multiple examples of guys coming out of the San Francisco system being successful. And that's why I'd put I'd put money on the back of D'Amico Ryan's being successful in Houston as well.
3: I mean, we'll have to
0: wait and see. We will. We will.
1: Sauce to number two.
0: Sauce Sauce score throw is that the best draft class of any individual team in the last decade? It was
3: about Top as good team. as it gets. I mean, I, I wanted Jacksonville to take sauce number one. Yeah. Over
0: Trayvon Walker. That would have been a way better pick. Uh, I, much I, better. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but yeah, I do agree. I, no, it's mean you, you, you screaming at Jacksonville
3: draft sauce. The guy didn't give up a touchdown <laughs> in all of high school or college, and you're not not gonna pick him. You're going to pick a guy who had, what, four sacks in (laughs) three years at Georgia? The whole job is to get sacks, and he had, like, four in his career.
0: (laughs) And you're going to draft him over a guy who's never given up a touchdown? You can't trust Jackson. I mean, you trust him with Trevor Lawrence's first-round pick, but it's like – What's the odd uh, Jacksonville's uh, gonna Urban Day Meyer baby? Straight and you're overalls. saying Dougie P needs to be coach of the year, and he drafted Trayvon over, you know, that,
2: uh,
3: No, I'm saying he deserves to be coach of the year because he had that garbage on his team and still made it to the playoffs and hung with the Chiefs and lost by what one possession? Yeah. Against
0: a team who's in the Super Bowl. That's fair. I'm team Brian David. Well, here we'll jump into the last head, uh, not even a head coach, but the last big coaching signing over the last couple of days that we've gotten to see. That's Kellen Moore leaving the Cowboys 18 hours later, hired by the Chargers um, to be their new offensive coordinator, replacing Joe Lombardi there, who I think all of all of the 12 Chargers fans in existence really wanted to leave. So they get they get a guy in Kellen Moore who's had a proven success on the offensive side of the football with Dallas. And I think, I mean, I hate to be the the you know, always being positive, but I think the Kellen Moore to 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 Los Angeles is a you know, a bang up move for them as well. I think all these teams in the last couple of days have, you know, absolutely nailed their head coaching. There's no move that was like Lovey Smith to the Texans. Where I'm like, that's stupid. You sh- that's that's like a a surrender and punt kind of move. You know, I think all the moves so far in the last in the last week or so have been home run hits. I mean, I'm the Dallas fan, so I have things to say regarding Kellen Moore later. What did you guys get from from this move for to offensive coordinator for Kellen Moore?
1: It's weird because it's a team that. Wasn't too bad offensively all around. And I hope he just doesn't treat Herbert like how he did with Dak. Because Dak is, we call him a gunslinger, but he also leads the league in interceptions while playing less games.
2: Yeah, that showed this year. Yeah.
1: Really big. So I know you're a Cowboys fan, but I think Kellen Moore was an iffy move for an offensive coordinator on a team that I don't exactly think he needed the offensive coordinator. They needed a the defensive coordinator, if anything. So yeah. Kellen Moore going to the char- Chargers, didn't. it's gonna be something to watch. I'll give it that.
3: Yeah, um, I I don't really know uh, what to say. I mean, Kellen Moore had like spurts of really good things on Dallas, but I didn't like the way he ran Dallas's offense at all. I don't think that he ran y'all uh, and put y'all in a position offensively to win football games. I think you know you put you put your fate into a quarterback who has proven time and time again. He cannot get the job done. Hasn't gotten the job done. Couldn't get the job done. Didn't get the job done. And yet you still went to this guy to try and win games. I mean, it's not like you got Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, any of these guys who, you know, win a lot uh, back there. You have Dak Prescott. And, you know, you're out here letting him sling the ball when, like they said, he missed, what, four or five games this year? Yeah. And he was, what, Top two or number one in Pat Picks? I, I can't I remember he if he was um, he was either one or two with Josh Allen. I think Josh he was Allen. one. I think kind of, yeah, one. That's, yeah, him
0: and Josh Allen were fighting over it. That's regardless. just
3: horrendous. That That's absolutely horrendous. And, uh, you know, Dallas, I think, in the 90s, I know it was a different era, a different time, but you always succeeded with the run. Uh, and I just don't understand why that wasn't more of a an aspect of, of Dallas down the stretch. I mean, yeah, you can say Zeke wasn't himself, but you still had Pollard. And, you know, you can use those two guys, both of them, in and out, in and out, putting together a scheme like Philly does and like Philly did against San Francisco of just establishing the run. Establish the run, and all your quarterback needs to do is throw for 225, make no mistakes. I mean, just that's all you got. Keep the ball from the defense, throw 225, maybe get a touchdown or two, and let the the running game take over. That's that's all Dallas needs to do. That's what you did with Aikman. I don't understand why Dallas doesn't continue with that system because – you know, you, you threw a lot with Romo, and that didn't get you anywhere. You're throwing a lot with Dak, that didn't get you anywhere. So it's, it's hard for me to understand why anyone would hire Kellen Moore, especially, like you said, the Chargers, who their offense really wasn't the issue. It was the defense playing like garbage with all the talent in the world. So I don't know. I don't understand the hire. We'll see how it works out for the Chargers. Um, but like you said, I think defense was more of the necessity than offense.
0: I think... I compare Dallas and, and the Chargers very similarly. I think they're very parallel mirror images of each other when it comes to AFC versus NFC. And with this with this coaching exchange of Kellen Moore going from Dallas to Los Angeles as the offensive coordinator, I think that really reflects kind of the places both of these teams are in and what they expect out of these, both their systems. Both teams have had great offenses in the last couple of years, have had good offensive weapons. Dallas this year was a little, you know, a downtick from previous years. Call it on scheme. Dak missed a few games. Dak, you know, the interceptions were a problem. A lot of those can still be can be attributed to, you know, unluckiness. I think whatever factor, there's some advanced metric that applies that. His was very high this year. He didn't have, you know, the luck and with the bounces and some of the tip balls that happened. And that plays into the weapons that Dak had around him, I will say. With the Chargers and Dallas, I think both teams finish in a spot where the offenses are good, but they just expect a teeny tiny bit more out of it, or at least just something different to switch up the way the offenses are run under Joe Lombardi with the Chargers. A lot of Chargers fans and that I've that I've talked to on like Reddit and Twitter that I've seen they complain a lot about how you know just the creativity within the offense just doesn't work out. There's not a good enough of second half adjustments working out, and Justin Herbert's not being in a position necessarily to really succeed. They had injuries this year. Keenan Allen missed some time. Mike Williams was some time. And uh, Austin Eckler was really only the staple of that offense very much. And they leaned into him a lot, but I do think with with uh, bringing in Kellen Moore, I think you're going to have that ability to have a little bit more creativity, just kind of like a different, you know, a different take, a fresh face uh, on the side of the offensive ball, and you know can just just change a little bit of things up to tweak their offense. I mean, this is a team that you know on the defensive side of the ball was successful in the playoffs. They led the Jaguars 27 to nothing at one point, and you know should have won that game and gone on to. Arrowhead to play the Chiefs that didn't happen and that's kind of falls on Brandon Staley and that falls on the offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi which I've talked about in previous episodes where, you know, they decided to keep throwing the ball down the stretch instead of running the game and playing football the way the game presented itself and that's on Joe Lombardi the previous offensive coordinator to blame. And with Kellen Moore, I mean, he's proven his success in Dallas the last couple of years since he's been offensive coordinator. I mean, since he's taken over, Dallas is fifth in EPA per play, fifth in yards per play, second in the NFL in scoring. He hasn't been a bad offensive coordinator by any aspects and. From what I take away as a Cowboys fan and what I saw this year, and it's one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to move on from him. I was 50-50 on the idea of, of getting rid of him or not, was you know, he just didn't prove to be a good second-half adjuster. And he's still a young offensive coordinator. He didn't prove to make those adjustments to, to capitalize when games you know, changed and presented itself in a way that Dallas could win. During the whole time with with Cooper Rush, where the Dallas decided to lean more in the run game, they were only they were in the twenties, the thirties, and offensive efficiency Dallas was, but it was enough to be successful. And that was a, a, strategy and a scheme that Mike McCarthy, the head coach, leaned on once Dak Prescott returned. They ran the ball a lot against you know those games against the Lions and against the Bears, and against the Packers. They leaned on that a little bit more. And then down the stretch, you know, you have some O-line injuries. Kellen Moore kind of regains control of that offense, and he puts Dak in the shotgun more often. He's not under center as much, and it's playing in a way that allows Dak to kind of not have to play hero ball, but has to make some pretty incredible throws to fit into tight windows. There wasn't schemes made to allow wide receivers to get open. And in a system where CeeDee is number one and Noah Brown, who was a wide receiver five just a few years ago, was now your number two, the yards after the separation that wide receivers can create was a big issue for Dak and the offense. And so, you know, the offense just kind of ran sail. It's been great. 2019 was probably the best, the peak of Kellen Moore we saw on the offensive side of the ball. I think Dallas was number one in almost every offensive metric that year. They went 8-8 and and missed the playoffs, but that was partially because they had one of the absolute worst defenses in NFL history that year. But I think Kellen Moore just, you know, going to L.A., both teams having a change of face to improve the way their quarterbacks play, have a different, you know, fresh eyes. I think that's a positive, and that's why I like this hire for for both the Chargers and for Dallas, for them moving forward, whoever they get offensive coordinator, I trust Mike McCarthy. He has a very vast coaching network of not like he knows a lot of these guys. He he's going been to in the call the plays for what? But he's been uh, rumored to call the plays. That's what they kind of came out right now. I don't know if that's a temporary suggestion depending on the guy they hire or not. I, I'm not banking on anything right now. But if he does end up calling the plays, I'm not necessarily scared of that. I know a lot of people are panicking because of the way they ended things with with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. But I'd say that the way it ended with Mike McCarthy in Green Bay is the exact same way it ended with Kellen Moore in Dallas. You know, offense was slightly successful but it wasn't enough to get you over that hump and so you just have to change face and they got Mike LaFleur and they were successful and for Dallas you're getting rid of Kevin- Kellen Moore and you get a new face in there and just change it up a little bit. I mean Kellen Moore the only reason he's on this team was cuz when Mike McCarthy came in and hired his own staff They decided to keep Kellen Moore because Dak Prescott was still kind of developing. He was still young. It was only like his third or fourth year in the NFL. And they wanted to, you know, create, you know, just keep Kellen Moore in there because that's what Dak was used to. He knew that offense and it had been successful in the past in 2019. Like I said, it was like the number one offense in the league. And so you keep Kellen Moore in there just to have that continuity with Dak and, now it's finally time to get rid of him. I mean, Hillmore the last remnants of the Jason Garrett Scott Linehan offensive system that went eight and eight three straight years for Dallas back in uh, at the end of Tony Romo's career. So I think him leaving finally kind of frees up the way Dallas runs the football or runs their football team and uh, can figure out some ways. But I think this is this is a good good move for both teams in that aspect. I will say. Mm-hmm.
2: I like how you did the um, Chargers and Cowboys reference that that they're like some of the same.
0: They're very good offenses that always come short. Yeah, because I feel like
2: with both of those teams, they can have like a one-dimensional team where they just do the same thing over and over again, but they can also rely on their backup as a running game, because their running game are both very good, as Tony Pollard had an amazing season this year, Mm -hmm. and Austin Eckler had an incredible season this year. I feel like him going to the Chargers is going to bring that same aspect, but he can push it a little bit more. But I feel like with his, he has to succeed more with like staying out of that one one dimensional offense and having to go into like a two D offense and doing way more. Just like Greg Roman in Baltimore, the reason all the fans, even me, wanted to get Greg Roman out of Baltimore is because we were all run, run, run whenever we know our quarterback can throw the ball and he's shown potential of him throwing the ball. But if we get him to throw the ball more. We just we have to get him to throw the ball more and not just stay on a run 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 because that's why Lamar has been yeah. ended the seasons both seasons on injury the last two seasons down.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I that's what I believe for a lot of coaches is that sometimes you know a coach can be really good and the system can work, but it doesn't work to its full degree and you think there's potential that needs to be unlocked and so you you try to make that replacement from good to great in coaching and I think coaching is one of the few aspects in the NFL where that's actually the smart move to go you know because. You know, you can get a great coach and it doesn't affect your cap space. It doesn't really affect anything. And if it improves, it improves everything around you. So oh. I think, I mean, I think that's what Cal- Dallas is doing with Kellen Moore. It's what Green Bay did with Mike McCarthy when they got rid of him a few years ago. And I think it's, you know, it's a solid strategy. Um, Josh, I'll tell you, do you know you're sitting next to the biggest Lamar Jackson hater on planet Earth?
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm the, I love Lamar old fashion. Oh, my goodness. I've loved him ever since he was in high school. We won't start on you.
0: this one. I just, I just had to let you know. I'm not <laughs> going to get like heated or
3: anything. I just, You know, personally, I haven't seen enough from the guy to warrant any hype is what I'm saying. I think he's a great runner, but as a passer, I don't really think he's got – and you can – I know everyone's going to say, well, he hasn't had any great receivers in Baltimore, but, you know, what I see is he was 14-2 and in 2019. They had the number one offense, I believe, in the NFL. They had a top five, top ten defense in the NFL that year as well. Went to the playoffs and lost to a team they shouldn't lost shouldn't have lost to. They lost to what, the Titans? Titans. Yep. In a bad fashion. Yep. And since then, they've had one playoff win, I believe, and it was against the Titans against maybe the, Titans. the year after. The yep. next year, yep. And uh that's it. That's that's been all. And from what I've seen this is Lamar yeah, he got hurt last year, so they didn't and go. And the year before. Didn't go and to the, the year probably the year before that. Yep. single, <laughs> Every single season. Was it He's, three straight
2: season-ending injuries? Yep.
1: yep. Your boy J.K. Dobbins said if you would have been in, they'd have won this.
3: Yeah.
0: Because we would have.
2: Tyler Huntley jumping on from, like, I think it was Which, the three or four.
1: I so hard at an NFL play. <laughs> I'll take I will a him jump and get completely just blocked <laughs> up. I love this game in the Dallas game two weeks
0: ago. That was <laughs> yeah. pretty
3: fun. That was pretty That's bad for well. Center getting blown up yeah. by. The What's
0: lineup. so bad is in my head, that Dallas play, which I talked about last week, I know what they were trying to do. And if it worked, it would have worked very well. It just didn't work. <laughs> and, it, and it looked holy. It reminded right me guys.
1: of the Colts when they tried to do that. Yeah. Who was it? Pat McAfee? Yeah. yeah. That did not work either. <laughs> that Maybe. was kind
0: of like the same
3: idea. Yeah. I, I got, got a question. Yes as sure. a Dallas fan, knowing that you have Dak Prescott at the helm next season after what just occurred,
0: are you. In any fashion at all, excited for next year. I am. I'm. I. I and I said this last week. I and mean, Everything I say, at Chris and Liam, y'all know what I'm about to say here. Dax. I mean, even with getting rid of Kellen Moore with Mike McCarthy, it's a fresh voice in Dax's head to get you know the situation right. The, the statistics behind behind this year, he was hurt. He led the league in interceptions. A lot of those interceptions, at least six or seven, from like what everyone's been able to count were attributed to mostly Noah Brown and wide receivers dropping the ball and not getting separation and Dak forcing stuff. And part of that's on Dak. I do agree. But I think the situation didn't favor the Dallas offense very well, especially down the stretch when we lost Terrence Terrence Steele to the O-line and the running game didn't work and Dak had to force a little bit more stuff, which, you know, that's on him. But I do think there's going to be improvement. I think once we get Dak a receiver, it can be alongside CeeDee Lamb, which they will draft probably in the first round or if not, you signed DeAndre Hopkins or a free agent this offseason, which they've been rumored to do. I think this offense could look very similar to how the 2019 offense did. And that was the best offense in the NFL. And with the, with the defense under, under Dan Quinn, who announced he's returning for the, to the, to the Dallas Cowboys. And he wants to help this team win a ring or be successful. I think that the season next year has the opportunity for this team to improve and for a team to have a very solid shot at improving after finishing 12 and five with your quarterback out for five games and winning a playoff game and playing, the 49ers are very close. I do think that's the reason to be optimistic next year. Do you not think that the season would have turned out differently had Cooper Rush played? It would have turned out worse. Worse. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Cooper Rush beats the Eagles at home. I don't or in Dallas. I don't think Cooper Rush beats the Jaguars in Jacksonville. I don't think he went or I don't think he puts up a competitive game against Green Bay. The the only thing well. I
3: know is that the only reason Dallas or Jacksonville had got back into that game was because Dak was
0: making mistakes. He threw a Pick inside, what, his their own 20? He made mistakes to to get them back in the game, but I don't think da- I don't think Dallas is leading by 17 in the third with Cooper Rush. I think that game's tied, and then Jacksonville beats us by more. That's what I'm saying.
3: I don't know. I think Cooper Rush was the guy that's perfect for your system. He's not forcing anything. He's just going to sit back there, get the job done, be smart, and that's all y'all need. Y'all don't need a guy who's going to go out there and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns a game. That's not how y'all win. That's not how y'all play. He did that for – a while and y'all were still losing games. When? When he right before he got hurt, wasn't he throwing for like 400 yards a game and like three or four
0: touchdowns when he hurt his foot and was out for the rest of the season? Oh, that yeah, but that was that was, was that 2019, I believe. That was 2019 where Mike Knoll was defensive coordinator. We had the 32nd rate defense. I think we were allowing like 38 yard, 38 points per game before the injury. So he kind of had. We were down every game. He kind of had to. That was just garbage All I'm time. Is that what was Cooper rush Four and one.
3: He was four and one. Yeah. Four and one, and his one loss to, was to the team that's in the Super Bowl right now. Yeah. By how many?
0: He, I don't know what the
3: score of it was that game like eight was. Eight or nine, right? It was like 26-17? Yeah. Like...
1: To think that at the beginning of the season, the Lions were the leading offense for a couple weeks. That that's an underrated team. Right? The yeah. Lions started
2: off really good. I liked, they just Had the worst defense. Yeah, I liked yeah, the I like the Lions offense this season. I liked it.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a team that you should be. Excited for in the future too. That's another
1: coach I think should have been talked about for Coach of the Year was Dan Campbell. I think
0: had that team been more successful, more. What's the word like continuously? You know, that was a team that was like hot and then not, and then hot and then. If not. they were more consistent, if they were more consistent. I yeah. think Dan Campbell would have been considered. A more. If they made the playoffs. I think Dan Campbell certainly would have gotten a nod for, for sure. Him. I can say yeah, I
1: think, uh, head coaches are feeling a lot better after Brady's retirement. So
0: yeah, yeah, I do believe so. What sure, we think okay. of that? I will say that's we'll get into the last kind of part of the show. He announces today on the same day as last last year, February 1st, his retirement and a little Instagram video of him sitting on a beach or something, Yep. whatever. Do we believe him this time? I think that's the biggest question anybody's asking. Do we believe Tom Brady this time?
2: This time I actually believe that he's retiring because there's there's no reason for him to come back. There's literally no reason for him to come back this time. Mm-mm. Except for you can say last time was, there was no reason, but there kind of was because the Bucks were looking promising this season. But now I feel like Tom Brady's just up there, and he knows that if he comes back, he's not going to be as successful as he was early on in his career. So there's no purpose of him coming oh. back. And I feel like this, the NFL is getting pushed into a different aspect of Tom Brady like leaving the league because whenever I was a little kid, I grew up on Tom Brady winning all the time. Mm-hmm. Whenever the Ravens beat Tom Brady in AFC Championship to go to the Super Bowl and win, I was the happiest little kid ever. Yeah. Now that Tom Brady's gone, I feel like <laughs> the NFL can like just get to another point where it, all, it shows more aspect on the quarterback and the younger quarterbacks of the um, NFL.
1: Why come back? I'm going to read this off. Why come back when you're a seven-time Super Bowl champion, exactly. five-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time NFL MVP, 15-time Pro Bowl, a five-time NFL passing touchdown leader, four-time NFL passing yards leader, two-time NFL also pl- offensive player of the year, and a three-time first-team All-Pro? What else do you have to prove? The only other thing that I guess he would have any reason to prove is to hit 100,000 passing yards. Because he's at 89,000, but he had to play two more seasons. Yeah, minimum. Yeah, and for him to come back, even the first time didn't make sense. For him to come back the second time, if he was, it would defeat the purpose of what retiring means.
3: Now, I can say it doesn't make sense to maybe us, but the reason he has all that, is of his desire, passion, and addiction to being the greatest that's ever lived. he oh, yep. strives for and greatness, and that's it. That passion, the drive, and the greatness that's inside of Tom Brady is why he came back. It's why he, it's going to be hard for him to stay away from the game, because it's an addiction. I mean, it's like Michael Jordan. The guy, These guys are addicted to winning. Mm-hmm. That's why Michael Jordan gambles, because it's the thrill <laughs> of winning, the thrill of having something on the line, putting yourself in that situation, and having to come through. And, you know, Brady... And MJ probably are the best ever to do it when it comes down to, you know, clutch, winning, and getting the job done. And, you know, Brady's shown that over 23 years of his desire, passion for the game and for just winning championships and being the best. And that's why, that's why he came back. Because that dude, I guarantee it, could not sleep at night knowing that he has the potential and still the ability to go out there and win. And if you go to sleep... Or you can't sleep because you know that you should be out there on the football field winning. I mean that's that's just how it is. I mean that's, it's built into this guy. It's built into his system to go out there and and win championships and and be the best there is. And that's all he's known for. Over half of his life has been on the in the NFL on the football field. Yep. And you know I won't rule out that he's gone because I think under the right There's circumstances it could happen. <laughs> but I don't think that I think this time it's for real. I think this time he's gonna focus on family. And that's going to be what the the deciding factor that keeps him out of going back.
1: My man divorced. <laughs> well, I mean,
2: he's divorced, but he's still got kids. <laughs> he's still got he's, kids to worry about. He, he
3: loves them kids, and he's plus, be, he, he has money.
2: Out. He has money outside of the NFL. He yeah. has a four hundred million dollar broadcasting deal. He can take that. That's still income that he has. I love
1: being able to say that if there's any stain on his resume as a player, yeah. is that the Giants and he's winless against the Giants and Eli Manning in the Super Bowl. I will be more than happy to say that during any <laughs> argument because I feel like he's the type of player that if you say, oh, I'd be in Tom Brady, there's something to that.
0: Yeah. Because
1: hey. that man in the Super Bowl, it's like the final boss. That's what it felt like. He always made the AFC Championship. I feel like he always made the Super Bowl. He's that final boss
0: of sports, not even just the NFL, sports.
2: Made 10 consecutive AFC Championships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's he's. Yeah. he's the greatest winner of I mean, all time, greatest you, athlete.
0: Just yeah. looking at numbers, I mean, the fact that in his twenties, his thirties, and his forties—which his forties was only half a decade—which is still ridiculous—it's an MVP career in all three decades that he's played football. I mean, even just like I think his—if I saw the stat correctly—just the stats he accumulated in his forties. You know, two touchdowns, how I many passing yards, his touchdowns. He did more in his forties than you know Hall of Famer Joe Namath did in his entire career, which is just ridiculous yeah, he, absolutely ridiculous he's i mean he's the greatest of all time i think that's one of the very few sports where you can fully agree who the greatest of all time was i think football is like almost the only sport because don't ask that to a basketball fan don't ask that to a soccer <laughs> fan because you will get hell on earth yes, if you will. bring up that question in any of those sports even baseball i mean i think there's like a 100 guys i mean messi's not the clear-cut guy in soccer no, now no, soccer? he is I'm he shouldn't soccer so like like okay soccer's like concrete now that. i do it's, think there's still enough people who would just you know, place their Ronaldo life on lovers. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's yeah, that's a cold. Yeah. I think there's enough people who are still in love with Ronaldo who will, you know, lay their life on the line to defend him. Yeah. I don't NFL. think that exists in the NFL. NFL yeah.
1: there's absolutely no shot you can say anybody. Yeah. That is better because Tom Brady last season still second in passing yards with the team he had. Hurt Ryan Jetson played that playoff game nowhere near hundred percent. So his O line wasn't there. His receiving core was is old. Mike Evans is the only guy on there that will be able to give him a um what's the word I'm looking for? a sustain the uh, um
2: words. Words. I can't Say remember words. words. <laughs> He'll be able to <laughs>
1: sustain that level of level of wide receiver, that how Brady he looks for Julio's old. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Russell Gage old. got hurt. Yeah. Godwin hasn't been himself. For Godwin two years. Uh, yes, yeah, since yeah. that since mm-hmm. that injury
1: has not been the same. Mike Evans has been the only player that he could throw the ball to, and trust that he will catch it.
3: Yeah, and he had with like Cade Otten or something like that as his tight end. Yeah, like his backup, big step down. Kyle Rudolph. Rudolph.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's that offense was nothing, and he still had second passing. Yeah, I mean,
3: forty six hundred yards passing at forty five years old. Through like I said, sixty six times in a playoff game, which is absolute nonsense and a joke, and should never happen. Yeah. Uh, what twenty four touchdowns or twenty five touchdowns to ten interceptions or not nine interceptions. I mean, it. Everyone, this is the exact same year he had in twenty nineteen. The
0: last his last year with the Pats. It's the exact same
3: statistics, basically. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, mean
0: have, I think. I mean, I also think you know, the change of head coach really affected the team. No, um, Todd Bowles sucks. Todd Bowles, you Should know, never be a very big downgrade for Bruce Arians. I think that affected a lot of it. Did obviously the offense was kind of crippled, and for the Buccaneers, I'm. <laughs> worried about them going forward. I mean I, don't feel ba- I mean, I don't feel bad for the fans at all. You got what you wanted. You get Tom Brady for, what was it, three seasons? Yeah, three seasons. Three seasons. You get a Super Bowl out of it, which is way more than Tampa Bay fans can, you know, say for the rest of that team's existence. What, did they the have one before that decade. with Gruden? Yeah. Was it. So, going from there, I mean, the only quarterback that Tampa Bay has on their roster, like under contract currently, is Florida legend Kyle Trask, and I'm sure they're not trotting him out week one next season. So With – Questions arise of what you're going to do. Cause... Yeah,
1: with Brady, I feel like he's the only only one other than Michael Jordan in his sport to say, how can you bet against that guy? Yeah. You can say that to everybody else. Mahomes is starting to become that. But Brady was is always going to be the best at what he did. Not even the best of all time at his sport, but one of the best, like he said, like he said earlier, best athletes of all time. Winners. He,
3: He's just one of the best. He's one of the best, best, winner best winners. Of all time.
1: Second to none in what he has done in his tenure with the NFL. Even outside, I hate him as a player. I hate <laughs> going against him. Even <laughs> Me as, too. Even as a
0: Giants fan, yeah, I hated going against him. I mean, Dallas was Owen. What six? He never won against them until his final game. Dallas finally got the victory. J. Ron Curse got his last interception, and Ron Curse kept that football. He tweeted it out today. He was like, "Glad I got the last one." <laughs> he yeah. has it on his kitchen table. So. Nice little trophy. And for him.
1: They, over here, they're talking about him going to the Raiders, having him in different jerseys. And I'm no. like, I well, had that feeling. I thought he was going to play one more season. I couldn't see it. But he said I, earlier in the year that he had no intention of retiring. Yeah, he's, he, I guess.
0: Even earlier in the year, you don't believe that. Yeah. You don't believe him. He said he was retiring February 1st, 2022. And yeah, that didn't and, happen, here, so. and
1: there he was the next season with Gronk. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it's just. That guy was something else. Yeah, I, I, c- there will be nobody that comes close to him. I
3: could see him sitting out a year, and then I think it'll
0: take a year, maybe.
1: Some Andrew of, Luck stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, take Braves. Braves. I feel like he might come
0: back into the coaching world.
1: I'll say watch for that.
0: This he's going the Drew Brees route of being a little broadcaster for Fox or whatever. Well, I think Fox. right? Just imagine. Yeah. I mean, That's Brady just had do. a
3: good statistical year. He still has the arm talent. Imagine him sitting on his couch watching football. And watching maybe a couple plays, got gosh, I wouldn't. I mean, I could, I could still go could out there and do that. that. Like I could, I could go out there, and I could win right now. And that that temptation is gonna eat him up. And I don't know, I don't know. Maybe a year from now, he's he's rethinking. You know, I mean, maybe. A couple of guys have come out of retirement before. I don't, I don't see why he
0: couldn't or shouldn't. But who knows. No, no. Now it's is Aaron. Rodgers is what the last guy left of kind of that era. Our childhood, yeah, yeah. And then he's gonna he'll pull. He's gonna pull better. the Brett Favre, going to the Jets for a year, then going to the Vikings once Kirk Cousins contracts. I don't up. know. Does San not stand out for Aaron Rodgers being from Cal?
2: They I, need a like a standby like quarterback because yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't even trust the, at, this point, at this point. Yes,
0: I think once Brock Purdy got hurt and that's gonna take well, it like six months six of recovery, months, yeah. which is gonna bleed into the offseason and training camp. Yes, I think for San Francisco. Your quarterback room once you get Aaron Rodgers would be an absolute mess because then it's like you get him and you're gonna have him for at least a year. So you can't just, I mean, I get, well, you technically can roster Brock Purdy and Trey Lance, but they're gonna want out most likely. They're not gonna mm-hmm. want to endure that. So then it's like, do you go in for Rodgers and then kind of screw your future out of the way? You know, that's 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 the tough. But it really you, screwed
3: like if you bring in Rodgers for a year and let Trey
0: Lance, if you, if, if you can, if you can learn. convince those guys to learn under Rodgers, sure, oh. then it's fine. But for Trey Lance, I mean, he's already had a, you know, a career to be told. You know, if if he has to sit behind a guy, I don't I don't know, he might want out, he might want a fresh start. Like, I don't know. I don't know worst his team in the, the NFL much. week 1. He you're going to you're play gonna now. sit
3: here and learn and do what I tell you. I'm Shanahan. <laughs> I went to the Super Bowl. I went to these the championship. Yeah. So, you need to do what I say. I drafted you. I took a chance on you. You sit here and learn and you can make your career a lot longer by learning under Aaron Rodgers than by just being thrown out into the fire and doing what you did last year and losing to the dang Bears. Or this year. And losing to the Bears week one. So, I don't know. I think
0: trophy to be held for Chicago, isn't it?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Justin Fields. You beat
3: San Fran week one. You beat San Fran week
0: one. Who would have
3: thought? Two of the three wins came in the first three
0: weeks of the year. How about that? Like 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 All of San Fran's losses came in the first five games of the year. Under Trey Lance. So There you go. I'm not saying Brock Purdy's the GOAT, but... He did, what, he did what Lance couldn't.
3: I mean, McCaffrey
0: definitely definitely helped it out. Definitely but uh, yes. No, Purdy played phenomenally. So. Yeah, Yeah. well, I think that might do it for us for the show. I think we've hit everything. been a solid show. Nick, Josh, glad to have you two yeah, on thank as you. well. Glad I to think be you here. are uh, to be much better than Liam. Always. Yeah, I was just talking about NASCAR. Poor Liam. Yeah. Liam will be back. He had a long day of... of meetings and yeah, delegation. arguments and yeah. delegations is a better way to put it yeah i'll take that yeah but guys thank you as much uh, shout out new era again if you if you feel like it give me give and me just, a rundown just not today.
1: season 2 we'll be dropping on friday we are recording on thursday we post on friday so season two will be coming out this week
0: i'll be sure to link y'all both in the in the description chris nick josh thank you all for all yep. being on there to so listeners remember to download the XLR app, again, I said this last break, but to say it again, the XLR Lander radio app, it's available on iOS and Google Play stores. You can listen to any show at any time. On the app, and it's just as easy as downloading it and starting it up on your phone. Again, that is L- XLR Lander Radio on your iOS or Android device. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Off the Bench XLR. There you can look up quotes, video clips, and more content from Off the Bench and keep track of the show. You can view stuff from all four seasons, almost all 100 episodes of Off the Bench. For- we're narrowing down there to episode 100. So we're right on there. This is episode 93, I think, Liam. Fact checking on that. I think it's 93. We're right up there. So stay tuned for all the festivities coming with that. Again, that is at Off the Bench XLR on Instagram. Remember to follow us as well on our podcasting network. We're available at Off the Bench on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you choose to listen. You can listen to all episodes off the bench, all 93 from all four seasons dating back to 2019. So check us out there. Again, that is off the bench on all major podcasting platforms. Remember to stay in the game and off the bench and have a good night.